Hello and welcome to the 14th episode of King's Landing, which is on the 6th episode of Season 7 of Game of Thrones, entitled Beyond the Wall. This is Kate and Laurel, as always, and we're super, super pumped to talk about the show this week. I think first, though, before we dive into the episode, just to note that we're done with the season next week. I'm kind yeah. of devastated. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? I don't like yeah. the seven season thing. That's going to be a complaint that I will start voicing more and more as we get <laughs> closer. But yeah. I think that um, the largest complaint that people have been having about this season is the pacing. And mm-hmm. so to me, it doesn't, I don't understand why they decided to squeeze everything into seven episodes. I know budget is a thing, but they could have easily given us a few more episodes where those big moments that were expensive to film were spaced out more and we could have had more Mm -hmm. dialogue and these conversations that I was complaining about missing in the first two or three episodes. So that's a really good point. I'm not really cool with it, but we'll, we'll continue. Yeah. So beyond the wall was written by David and Dan, which I will have things to talk about in a second. Mm -hmm. Um, Directed by Alan Taylor filmed um, primarily as you can imagine in Iceland and Belfast just before we really get into this episode, Kate and I did a spontaneous Twitter death pool because we forgot to do it in the episode <laughs> yeah, let me last pull week. That up. Yes. <laughs> so let's go over that death pool and see who won. Um, okay, but here's the rest of my death pool was Davos, Jorah, Beric, and the Hound. <laughs> <laughs> so I was basically like, yeah, half of them can die. That's okay. And that was my feeling on that um i thought Tormund was safe because he didn't have a goodbye scene with Brienne. so i just want to you know and what was yours laurel um you should be able to see the response jorah and beric maybe thoros you thought gentry and the hound of plot armor and davos of course didn't leave Mm -hmm. and then as far as Tormund, you said i hope not so, who won the death pool is my important point here. Um, I think, I think you. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, so, right off the bat, I'm going to probably disappoint you a little bit and say that I was a little disappointed in this episode. Um, the more I've reflected on it and thought about mm-hmm. it... Um, and tried my best to avoid think pieces on it, but seen titles of think pieces. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's okay. I'll save a lot of my thoughts until we actually get into get the there. specific things and the end of episode summary. But I think yeah. I'm going to be a lot more cynical about this episode than you are because you definitely sound enthusiastic about it. I'm enthusiastic, but I don't think that you should take my enthusiasm as me liking all of the episode okay cool we'll probably be on the same page then (laughs) so okay without further ado so we get into our first scene which is well the first first scene is the map of um westeros and we see the eastern end which we go over the vale of Arryn and up north and that's Mm -hmm. just setting the stage for the stunning amazing landscape of iceland Wow, Game of Thrones. Beautiful. Wow. Yes. Um, So we got a lot of really nice little small talk in this episode, which was kind of cool. I think it was 
Um, the purpose of that was to show us the travel time to make Gendry's marathon sprint at the end even more impressive. Um, <laughs> this episode definitely had a lot of internal foreshadowing and internal subtle mm-hmm. hints, which was nice. Um, but I was I started off just being really worried about Tormund because we were getting so much character building with him. Mm-hmm. A lot of really sympathetic so lines about Brienne. That was really sweet. <laughs> I still love him and Brienne in the show. Um, Not bro. <laughs> and uh, also we get some backstory from Gendry in which he proceeds to remind us of who he is as a person <laughs> and the last time we saw him. So that was uh, not too subtle, but a good way of catching people up who might have forgotten where we last saw Gendry. Oh no, I will bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you think about um, John trying to give Jorah the sword? Oh, okay. Um, I, that was a really interesting moment for me. Um, uh, some of the viewers, if you're not familiar with the books, um, might have seen that it's just like a cute or a very heartfelt moment from John saying, you know, this isn't mine. This is your family's. I don't, um, claim ownership to this and please have it because you're here to fight the good fight, to fight on our side, and you deserve it, which is very sweet and, like I said, heartfelt. Meanwhile, I'm over texting Laurel, Lightbringer, Lightbringer, <laughs> Lightbringer, <laughs> because to me, any moment with John and a sword is, it's literally just asking. It's totally foreshadowing. And I'm still very confused as to where Jor is going since he survived mm-hmm. the episode somehow. Um, I wonder if he will end up getting and earning the sword back from John, especially if Mm -hmm. John is to get a better, more flaming sword in the future. Um, (laughs) I can see that happening. I still can really see Jorah taking over the Night's Watch. I think that would be Mm -hmm. a good fit for him, but I still want to find out why he needed to go to Old Town. Not letting up on that complaint here. I don't think you'll get a satisfactory answer to that one. No. I mean, I hope, but I don't think so. I, I was waiting was for, for some grayscale superpowers to come out while he was battling the whites, but nope. <laughs> Ooh. Um, meanwhile, I was just enjoying... and it, So we've complained very consistently this whole season about David and Dan's writing for the episodes that they've written, which is the majority of them. But with that being said, this episode was amazing. And then, like you mentioned, Gendry was last seen, um, well, last seen rowing. But before that, Melisandre had tried to tie him down to the bed and use leeches to get his blood. So there's just a quick little reminder of that, which was really funny. And I was wondering what the point of that was, because (laughs) um, remind me which character remarked on it that she wanted his blood was that the hound or was that Beric? that was Beric. all right because now Beric knows that gendry probably has king's blood and mm-hmm. um that might come to play now that Beric seems to be like he might be a character important again in the future since he survived um just trying to keep tabs on who knows gendry's actual parentage and the fact yeah. that he is a baratheon um that could end up being important um, and then there's a discussion, sorry to belabor this 
whole discussion um but john having kids is brought up yeah this is something that comes up several times throughout this episode they hit us really over the head with Mm -hmm. both john and daenerys's (laughs) ability and need to have kids in the future uh so just keeping my eye out on that one um we'll talk more about that i think in (laughs) other scenes maybe but yeah they definitely were not too subtle with that um and just in terms of david and dan's writing in this one um I mean, it was definitely better than the other episodes of theirs in the past, um, in this season for sure, but there were still a little every now and then things where I would roll my eye on. Like, I don't know if we've ever heard the word bitching used in that context before, or if we've ever heard anyone with red hair referred to as a ginger before. So there were just like tiny little Mm. colloquial uses of words that threw me out of Game of Thrones. Um, and that always annoys okay. me when they do that. But it wasn't as bad as Top Knot. We did not get any Top Knots. Okay, but moving on to Arya and Sansa, do you want to talk about this scene? I really liked this scene, and I thought that we were headed in a good direction with Arya and Sansa's plot in this episode, given this scene. Um, more of their uh, clash of personalities where they're just not going to see eye to eye on a lot of issues. They want different things. They're very different people. Um, but they're still sisters at the end of it. But then the rest of the episode with the two scenes between them just ruined it. And I'm like, what are we doing with Arya? What the hell is this plot? This is worse than season six, Arya. And that's saying something <laughs> for me. So I love season six, so like, <laughs> I'm just, I'm at my wits end with Arya's. Like, Maisie is fantastic. The acting is phenomenal, but... I just don't like the direction she's being given or the lines or the scenes or whatever is happening, but we'll get to those. Um, As of right now in this scene, (laughs) I like the heart to heart. I feel like they both have still have a lot to explain to each other. Um, I think Sansa could maybe actually go into detail about what she's experienced as horrific as it is, because I think that might help Arya see her a little bit. Um, But then at the end of this scene, Arya asks or um, Sansa asks Arya where she got the letter and Arya changes the subject and doesn't really answer. So I thought this was a setup for Peter. I thought that they were they were like trying to set Peter up here a little bit um, to see if like I, th- I thought that they might have already had this conversation and then they were ha- having this like faked one staged one to see how Peter would respond so that Arya oh, could prove okay. to Sansa that Peter was out to get her or something. Mm-hmm. Um, because I thought that's why she didn't respond to the where did you get it because I have no idea why mm-hmm. Arya wouldn't tell Sansa that Peter her trusted advisor had this letter taken um, but I maybe she feels guilty that she was sneaking around I don't, I don't know I think I, I cannot accurately predict Arya anymore because I do not know what the hell mm-hmm. they're doing with her character um Mm-hmm. But that was also probably leftover because I thought at the very beginning of the show, I thought that was what Sansa and John were going to do was to set Peter up um, because they do mm-hmm. th- Sansa, even if she figures out Peter and is on to Peter, she can't just execute him. Um, he's a very he's right. the Lord of the Vale now. So she has to have a reason. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm looking for kind of a, a setup situation where they make that reason happen. I have a theory about this, but it, it'll happen later okay. in the episode, so I'll mention that. 
then. Um, but I'm with you. I thought this scene was probably the best Arya Sansa scene we've had all season. Mm-hmm. But we needed this scene episodes ago. And this is a comment that I made about another scene um, from last episode. It's just we needed it earlier in the season because we've spent the majority of the season being confused about the direction and the intention of these characters. And even if the characters don't know where they're going and what they're doing, then we as an audience should kind of be able to follow along and see where the direction of their plot is going rather than being like, what does it all mean? Yeah, there a lot of these Winterfell stuff is just I think they're going too out of their way to make it unpredictable. Um mm. but I don't know. I just I'm not a fan and I'm trying to be open-minded about it, but mm, just not liking it. Yeah. And just from a reality perspective, I find it very hard to believe that they haven't that they wouldn't have taken the opportunity to download each other yet on what their situation has been for the last five years, the last six years. Yeah. Because are you, I guess we'll never know. Are you, are you kidding me? Your sisters, like sit down, have a drink and have a conversation for an hour about what you've been going through. Like condense That's it That's a really down. good point. You can have that conversation super because easily. Because the way this show is written and, and these scenes have been written, it has seemed as if Arya and Sansa don't have any alone time together that we haven't seen which is totally unrealistic. They're mm-hmm. both living in Winterfell. It's a small place. So why do we yeah. why does it seem like they only talk once a day in these weird situations? Like, I don't know. And at this point, it's been weeks. Yeah. Since they've both been in Winterfell, that that's completely unrealistic even for Game of Thrones world. Exactly. Um and if they don't talk to each other, then why not go to Bran and be like, so, they both have a knowledge that Bran knows a lot. What can you tell me? Like, that's your other option. That's, so why yeah. don't you take... That might be what happens... You have resources. ...in the next episode. Maybe mm-hmm. Arya goes to Bran to find out the truth. I could see that happening. Uh, but I do think the reason that we feel like this is so weirdly paced is because they... The, their Winterfell plot for the season doesn't cover a lot of time, but every other plot in the like season does. So mm-hmm. I think they made the wrong choice here where they've chosen to just show us a really, really slowed down of sequence of events in Winterfell. Um, but that jars so much with the sped up pace of everything else. I would have preferred to see maybe we only got Winterfell once this season, maybe twice, maybe right at the beginning we get the Arya reunion and the Bran reunion. And then at the end, we get this confrontation with Sansa and whatever ends up happening with Peter. And they really make those the mm-hmm. highlights of those two episodes, but we don't get Winterfell in between. And that gives more time to the other things that I just think that would have evened out the pacing a little bit. And I don't think I would be complaining mm-hmm. as much. That's a really good point. But my question at the end of the scene, of course, is where do they go from here? Yeah. So. We'll move on to the next scene, which is talking about gingers. Yeah. Um, I I have written down in my notes right now, we're definitely going to lose Tormund. Because this, again, we're getting so much set up with Tormund where he's lovable, Mm -hmm. he's goofy. We're getting reminded why we like him so much as a character. And those are all generally things that signal a character we enjoy's death. Um, And then... So predictable, Game of Thrones. Come we on. also get a nice little reference here where um, 
they're talking about John and his appearance and how he doesn't look anything like his dad and then you favor your mother. So mm-hmm. I think we're probably going to get a John identity reveal soon in the next episode. I mean, we have to since it's the last episode mm-hmm. and we haven't heard anything about TOJ, um, Tower of Joy revelation from last season yet. But um, this is just reminding us, I think, to be on the lookout for that. So I rolled my eyes just mm-hmm. a little bit at that one. Just a little bit. Yeah, Beric's talking about, oh, you remind me so much of your father. Your father being Ned, according to Beric. But, of course, we know that his father is actually Rhaegar. Well, we don't right. know yet, but book readers know. So um, I was wondering, like, what father are you referring to, Beric? What was Rhaegar like? But, again, <laughs> I think Rhaegar's quality is what we know of him from the books align somewhat with Ned's and that they were at the core good right. people trying to do good things. Um, this, that doesn't include leaving Elia Martell and going to shack up with <laughs> Liana Stark, but you know. Yeah, but is forcing no someone to live in a loveless marriage any favor? Maybe he was trying to make both of them have the opportunity for happiness. Yeah, well, we don't know what the situation was. If Elia was also like, yeah, we yeah. need to annul our marriage. Or if Elia was blindsided and like, um... Right. What? Um, um, okay, so there's a lot of Brienne of Tarth jokes in was, there with the Hound. And I, I, I love well. this because um, as soon as Tormund realizes that the Hound knows who Brienne is, he's just like opining on how much he loves her and how he wants to like have all of these large babies with her and I'm just like oh my god I love this I I love that we finally have someone adoring Brienne the way that she deserves and then we also get a lot of Lord of Light stuff um I almost said shit because Mm -hmm. I'm not that interested in Lord of Light stuff right now um just because I don't know where it's going or why we keep hearkening back to it but um the one line I did write down is that the enemy always wins, but we still must fight it, talking about the fact that the enemy is death. I actually thought that that conversation that Barrett has with John was one of the more beautiful conversations in Game of Thrones, just saying, like, death is the enemy, and, you know, we always lose in the end. Mm-hmm. That's our destiny. But until then, we fight for life, and we fight against the Night King, and we fight for the right to die in our natural... Um, state rather than being murdered by whites and having being forced to die Um, moving on to Daenerys back at Dragonstone this was great Um, she has a little tete a tete with Tyrion I love Peter and Amelia have such great acting chemistry and I love watching Daenerys interact with someone who's not in love with her a man specifically who's not in (laughs) love with her because I think that's mm-hmm. a really hard line to walk when you're an actor like Peter where you're acting with a younger female co-star who is gorgeous and he does pull it off where you can tell he admires and respects her but there's not this passion of love um, as opposed to the way mm-hmm. Jorah acted around her. Um, so I wanted to just mm-hmm. kind of give kudos not only to Peter for portraying that well but also to the directors for not making Tyrion in love with her because I think that would have been a really easy mistake for them to decide to make. Um, this is again one of the scenes where I just loved the writing 
the conversation, so that funny but important conversation about Daenerys' love life goes into something more strategic, talking about Tyrion's plans um, for this upcoming meeting between Cersei, um, the representative from Winterfell, probably Jon, um, Brienne, Daenerys, Jamie. Um, are we going to get your on there? Maybe. Probably. I don't know if I want to bring him know. up in this episode. <laughs> Um, but that's going to be a really interesting meeting. So Tyrion is already trying to figure out what traps that Cersei may be laying for them. And I think that Tyrion is learning how to moderate Daenerys a little bit here. Um, but we're mm-hmm. also seeing the fact that they they really need each other, I think, to be successful because Tyrion will always play it safe and Daener- uh, Daenerys will always be impulsive. Um, and they need they need to hear both of those perspectives in order to make the best choice. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, I do like the fact that he points out that Aegon built the wheel and that this whole system Mm -hmm. of hierarchy and feudalism was something that her ancestors created when they took over Westeros. Um, Mm -hmm. And so he also alludes to it a little bit later, but I think we might end up with a democracy in Westeros. He's kind of makes mention of the king's moot and the way they select their leaders mm-hmm. and the way the night's watch selects yeah. its leaders so i think that could be cool if we end up seeing a democracy um also i think he did overstep a little bit and i i do understand her anger especially when he starts mm-hmm. out this what he knows is going to be a sensitive conversation about the fact that she can't have children and so we need to make a game plan for if you die. Like that's in itself a sensitive conversation. But he leads it by accusing her of losing her temper often and making (laughs) bad choices when she does it. And to be fair to Daenerys, I don't see her actually really losing her temper very often or ever. I tried to think about it. And all of the decisions that she's made that have been very brazen decisions, I think were not impulsive and the having lost her temper, but of having a very strict sense of rules and justice the way Ned Stark does. Mm. Um, That's exactly what I was just thinking. Yeah. Okay, I'm glad we're on the same page because I don't think she's mm. ever really lost her temper. She's just said, no, you are doing things the wrong way and so I have to execute justice here um no that being said Danny does kind of have a little fit and storm out of that room mm-hmm. and I'm I'm not sure like that was quite warranted like she could have been a little cooler about yeah. that but of course that's not in her nature um one last thing about this scene that I wanted to mention is all of this talk about King's Landing I had one thought and that's in Daenerys's vision in the House of the Undying back in Essos. Um, She has the vision of her both going beyond the wall, what happens in this episode, and then the other side of that is seeing Drogo. But then the third scene in that whole montage is Danny walking through the burnt throne room of King's Landing. So I think, and um, Tyrion says in this, episode you're going with your dragons so that way if Cersei pulls any moves we're going to burn down King's Landing and so that to me is the inevitable conclusion of this meeting you think it's going to happen in the next episode 
it might not happen immediately, but that's the fate of King's Landing to okay. me. Well, yeah. Or the Red Keep, at least. I think it's definitely the fate of King's Landing, but I think that Cersei is too powerless in the next episode to actually pull something. I, I take her at her word with Jamie to say that this is just an opportunity to learn who her enemies are and find out more about their weaknesses. I just wanted to quickly call back again to the fact that we get another mention here of the fact that Daenerys can't have children and that she needs to have children <laughs> to uh, really properly rule and be able to create a stable realm. Cool. <laughs> okay, so my first thought for this next scene was, where is Ghost? <laughs> like, come on, Game of Thrones. We have not seen Ghost literally all season. Um, but I mean, he's at Winterfell, so he wouldn't be with John. I am so frustrated by him not being shown at all. I, I want I'm very angry back. he didn't go with John to, um, yeah. to Dragonstone, but whatever. Yeah, I want to see the dragon direwolf interact. Like, come on. Yeah. Basics, guys. So my first thought upon seeing, like, some weird animal was oh is it an ice fighter because that's what others ride in the books and shout out to our twitter um follower big underscore as underscore hounds uh we love you our ice fighter friends there were no ice fighters in this episode so because according to the inside the episode david and dan have wanted this zombie polar bear (laughs) for four seasons that's great i wasn't impressed okay guys this yeah it could have this been scene had one purpose and it was to show us that the others can reanimate dead animals that was it that was the we already knew that only purpose of this scene um was to foreshadow the dragon at the end of this episode the choreography in the scene sucked a lot of the cgi mm-hmm. was just not good um Thank you. Yes. Thoros mm-hmm. getting attacked by the bear, I almost laughed at because it was like kind of funny. His expressions and screams of torture weren't like it just like I don't know. I just was not about this battle. I didn't think it was necessary. I thought it was a waste of screen time and CGI money and mm-hmm. it was just dumb and not well executed. So, that is my humble opinion. And the moral of this scene is you should have spent the money on ghosts. Yes. You're welcome. Yes. So I think in last episode when we see the seven walking out of the wall, I commented something to the effect of where are all of the other people who are going with them, assuming mm-hmm. that they would have a group larger than themselves. It turns out they do kind of. There's a few unnamed hangers on, but that's such a cheap shot, I think, because... Yeah. Whoever is unnamed is going to be killed. Yeah. And that happened in this scene. That happens in other scenes in this episode. And I was just like, what's the point? Thank you, because this was going to be another complaint of mine. We have <laughs> we have just enough extra wildlings to die so that nobody yep. else important has to die. I thought it was such a cop-out. And it was we see these seven people go out into the forest. We don't expect six to return. Um, in fact, we don't expect any of them to return realistically but we'll get to that um Mm -hmm. it was it was very cheap to have that kind of great action shot of 
the lone seven going out only to have so many extra people with them who died constantly. I had to pause it almost every time someone died because I wanted to go back 10 seconds to see who that was and look closer because I was like, was that Tormund? Was that Beric? And then every time it was just mm. some random extra. It was just yep. annoying. Yeah. Like, we are committed now as viewers of the show that people we love will die and they do not have plot armor through the end of season eight. I'm prepared for that. Yes. But, and that's why my death pool was more than three people. <laughs> so when you bring me an episode where um, one of those people die, mm-hmm. I know I'm skipping ahead, but one, excuse me? <laughs> yes. Like, it, it's unrealistic. It's totally unrealistic and not Game of Thrones. Yeah, just saying. And this is a comment that I wanted to make about the whole season in general, is that we've had, a, you know, in Game of Thrones, by Game of Thrones standards, a very, very low death count. Um, but anyway, so we can move on. Um, do you want to talk about this? Yeah, so this is Sansa and Peter, and Sansa's getting advice from Peter. And I hate this scene because, again, it's not realistic. Sansa Mm -hmm. learned her lesson about Peter. She was very clear at the end of last season and even some of the beginning of this season where she doesn't trust Peter. She knows better than to get sucked back back into his council. And here she is taking advice from Peter. And again, while I was watching this, I was thinking, hmm, this is probably Sansa still trying to set Peter up and get him to admit something to her um, because that's where I, I thought this arc was going this episode but no um i mean the one piece of advice he gives her which is to get brienne to intercede with her between her and Arya, she obviously doesn't take because of where what she ends up doing with brienne but Mm -hmm. other than that like she's sitting there complaining about her sister to someone she can't trust and i just don't get this i don't get what they're doing with sansa like it's like they forgot about the rest of her plot this season. Yeah, and it's like they forgot about all of her character development and growth. Mm-hmm. Like, unless we end up getting a really awesome thing next episode where she orders his death and it turns out that all of this has been a setup, I'm just not sure why we they feel the need to have Sansa fall back in with someone who she doesn't trust and knows better than to trust this just doesn't it just doesn't make sense yeah it from the scenes that we've seen so far it doesn't make sense for any of it to be a setup like i don't know the point Um, yeah and this conversation like you said is very it's heartfelt it's genuine there's nothing that screams setup about it to me at all it's just very bizarre. But I guess anyway. The one thing I did notice is that she yeah. asks him where, she's like, where could she have found it? Where could Ari have gotten this letter? Mm-hmm. And he just kind of doesn't respond to that. So if yeah. Arya admits that she got it off of Peter in mm-hmm. the next episode, maybe that could be where they start to put it together and put his role and everything together. Yeah. But that's really the only thing I could see. I don't know. It, I, this whole plot is stupid. I'm just waiting for the end of it, honestly. Yeah. Um, and we know, like you just mentioned, that Brienne does not 
end up interceding on Sansa's behalf to Arya. Um, Brienne, of course, is presumably still acting as Arya's trainer, weapons trainer, mm-hmm. um, while she's at Winterfell. So, moving on, um, we have another scene beyond the wall. This one I just have SOS. Save the group. Save Gendry. <laughs> he should have had a boat. <laughs> I say, did they really think this was a good idea? Like, here they are. There's another. Who, the writers or the, no, John the and characters? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Where it's like, here's another and some whites. Let's just attack them. Point blank. It's, a, it's only a few of them. <laughs> um. So we do learn one important piece of advice or of uh, information, which is that if you kill an other, all of the whites it created die with it. So basically, as far as endgame stuff goes, the only way that the living can stop the dead army is by killing the Night King. Yeah. <laughs> he has to be target number one. Yeah. So they get the white. And the hound puts the hood over the white because I guess they wanted to save money on CGI for the face. They get onto the rock on the frozen lake, which I actually wanted to mention just quickly production note about that frozen lake that was actually concrete and the watch inside the anatomy because that was amazing what they built, what they did. Um, Shout out to the whole production and artistic team of Game of Thrones, which we've done several times this season Hmm. yeah i do not like this at all one bit um the whole battle on a frozen lake thing yeah especially listening to the way they came to it in the inside the episode they literally were like Mm -hmm. well we knew that they had to face up against the others and we knew that they had to get into a holding pattern until daenerys could get there and so the only way we Mm -hmm. could think that would happen would be if they were on a lake and the others couldn't cross it and that is the worst way to write anything, especially things like this where it's, like, <laughs> such uh, The fact that they were on a frozen lake in the first place was such a deus ex machina where it's, like, this is the only way they could survive is if this one coincidental thing happens and they happen to be in the exact right place for their, them to be able to survive. No, that is not how you write things because it's not realistic and it's just... I don't know. I, I wish they could have really come up with a better way to get Daenerys up north without having mm-hmm. it all to rest on the fact that they just happened to be at a frozen lake. Like, I don't, ugh. It just, it was, it felt lazy to me, I guess, is the best way to describe my complaint. Okay, I have a few things to add. I'm agreeing with you wholeheartedly. Number one, I don't know how far they've gone, but the fact that they went to send Gendry to run and then expect him to get to the wall and be able to send a raven to Daenerys within and this has to be within the space of just a few days at the most because they don't have food or water with them on this frozen rock Mm -hmm. that's that's stretching the imagination and that's being generous so I was trying to think about this if it looked like they were maybe a day and a half Okay, so let's assume that they were, like, less than a day out on their hike from yeah. Eastwatch. Um, mm-hmm. So that Gendry probably ran for about an hour, hour and a half would be my guess. Um, g- this is being very lenient and generous. 
Um, and assuming you, Gendry is an athlete. <laughs> right. And uh, <laughs> adapted to cold climates. But um, so let's say it took Gendry an hour, two hours to run back to Eastwatch, which is generous. Mm-hmm. Um, then they have to send a raven from Eastwatch to Dragonstone, which would easily oh, by take the way, a day. With the maester that they don't have. So then it would probably take at least a day to get from um, Eastwatch to Dragonstone. And then Daenerys has to get prepared and fly all the way up there, which would still take like half a day. Um, so we're talking, at best, being super generous, a day and a half of John and the others being on this lake. And we even got a hint about this at the beginning of the episode where they're talking about they're asking Tormund how he survives out here, and he goes, you just got to keep moving. So mm-hmm. they're not moving. Hypothermia is setting in. They don't have food. They don't have water. They're not staying active. Like, And then you haven't even touched how the Night King has ice powers, so he really could have just refrozen the lake. Oh, yeah, that too. That is the whole thing. <laughs> that too. I was like, seriously, the one time... You want to show restraint, Night King? It's you're not going to freeze the lake. Oh, also, Gendry uh, doesn't. There's no p- path. There's no trail. It's snowing, mm-hmm. so all of their tracks are covered. How does he yeah. find his way back? Wow, we're just tearing this apart. <laughs> See, yeah, this is what I mean. Like this episode had a lot of really great moments where I was like, "Oh my god, I love this!" But then when I sat back and reflected on it, I was just like, mm, "No, no, no, this is not not good." Um, and then, so Thoros dies, so yay to my mini death pool there, but he wasn't on my actual death pool, so I won't take it. Um, I'm glad John remembered to burn Thoros because I was yelling that at the TV. Mm -hmm. I was like, you guys have to burn him! (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise you'll have two whites to take to King's Landing. And then also, is this the entire army of the dead? Because it's much smaller than I would have expected. Yeah, so my impression is that this is simply a contingent um, because it's not enough, like, it's imposing, but it's not enough that all of Westeros has to fight it. So, I mean, it's conceivable to me that the Night King starts with a small force and then kills a bunch of people in the north, and that's who they use to build up the army before they get to Mm -hmm. the Neck thinking of next season I just I had the thought during this tv show I was like we're going to see some of our favorite characters come back as whites I bet Mm -hmm. I didn't I've never even thought of that before but that's probably going to happen but let's get to the part where um I did call this uh before I saw them that the dragons would be called to beyond the wall yeah so I'm just saying that yeah and I love Daenerys's white coat. I was so glad to see that she came prepared with, like, a tailor who knows how to work fur. Although, yep, yep. we're out of order a little bit, I think. Yes, we are. Yeah, so we get uh, Sansa decides to send Brienne in her stead to King's Landing for this mm-hmm. meeting parlay that I'm calling it thing. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because she is, I think, in a way that sh- her way of trying to show that to herself that she does trust Arya um, because she's ignoring Peter's advice and she's basically isolating herself even more here. Um, 
by sending Brian away. And that is what is making me wonder. That also made me con- like confirm to me that, oh, this is a setup. She and Arya are in this together because she's literally now has no no defender um, on her mm. side. Um, but then the rest of the episode made me change my mind on that. <laughs> yeah, that's... I wonder if we should overlook that inconsistency because that overarching point about Sansa knowing how physically physically vulnerable she's been in the past and how super aware of that she should be now would seem to indicate that there was some complicity between her and Arya. Yeah, but then the final scene between the two of them just throws that out, and I don't know what's yeah. actually going on. I I really hope that this whole situation ends by the next episode, because I can't yeah. take this in season eight. I just, I'm over it. <laughs> yeah. And, okay, Sansa, you're acting like Cersei. Get over yourself, please. Well, I thought that it was showing that Sansa has learned how to give orders and be a lady. So I actually kind of liked the fact that she ordered Brienne around because Brienne was a little out of place in questioning her mistress's orders. Um, like, Sansa wasn't asking for advice. She was telling her sworn protector, sworn knight, what to mm-hmm. go do. And Brienne was protesting and trying to give her advice. And as a leader, you got to cut that shit out. you got to be like, nope, listen to me. I'm, I'm your lady you're going to King's Landing. So I kind of like the fact that we got to see Sansa give an order like that. How much does Sansa actually like Cersei bother you, though? I didn't even make that relation. I didn't even notice. I just saw Sansa being a a leader. So that's interesting. For me, she's walking a fine line between being a responsible leader versus being someone like Cersei who's not going to inspire um, loyalty. I mean, to be fair, Cersei is really the only strong female role model she's had for most of her um, young adult life. Yeah, that's why I'm worried about her. She hasn't really seen any other ways of women taking charge other than being very bold and demanding. So, I don't know. I, I liked it. Okay. Um, um, so, so then we get the Daenerys scene, which we've already talked about. Yeah, I have in all caps, all of them are going, eating all of the dragons. Yeah. <laughs> I was totally with Tyrion on this one. I was like, um, yeah, if you die, you die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also thought this was great acting from Peter, so Emmy consideration round two. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So while all the dragons have left Dragonstone... A point of clarity that I would like Game of Thrones to address is how this makes Dragonstone vulnerable because hello, mm-hmm. King's Landing is not far at all from Dragonstone. But they do still have the Dothraki there. Yeah, but they're not they don't have a navy. Their navy's been no. wiped out. So I mean they're at least a little bit vulnerable, but that was I can suspend my disbelief slightly. Yeah, and, and also, yeah, probably Daenerys wasn't planning on being gone for more than a day, probably. Okay. 
But anyway, so let's, yes, go back to North. So I'm about to make another Lord of the Rings reference that you're not going to get, but maybe <laughs> okay. our listeners will, which is that Sander Clegane is being such a Pippin right now. <laughs> um, my favorite character in the Fellowship of the Ring is Pippin, Peregrine Took, who has this bad habit of making every situation worse. I was like, okay, Sandor, you probably shouldn't be throwing things at them just out of spite. This is a bad idea. Out of boredom, I think, more than spite. Yeah. Um, I wrote, these period are period impossible period odds period. Yes, this is not, <laughs> this is not something that six main characters should have survived. But we've already gone down that little wormhole, so... Um, um, one yeah. thing we didn't mention is that um, Tormund took Gendry's Warhammer. Yes. Um, and we got a good shot of it here. And it does look like it is obsidian. So I think it is just randomly this obsidian dragonglass hammer. Thank you. And I, I don't know how he came to find it, but it's what it looks like. No, I think he made it. And then I had, um, I was talking with someone on Twitter, like, so the how is questionable, but it does appear, like you say, to be, Mm -hmm. you know, the dragon glass. Okay. Um, And then I I also am not happy about the fact that we're fighting a battle that involves flaming swords on top (laughs) of ice. (laughs) This is just like... I, I don't like this whole frozen lake at all. <laughs> Did you also think that Beric should have really just used his flaming sword to literally light it up and then draw the circle around the rock? Or like poured alcohol around the ice and then light it up? That's literally what I was expecting since there was that cask so often. Like I was expecting them to like pour the alcohol out and light it on fire. But nope. And then we get this weird... Uh, thing with Tormund and the Whites and I'm also going to complain about the Whites in this episode because in the past we've seen the Whites fighting like actual humans and that's what's been so terrifying about them they're just like dead soldiers who come back to life well wildlings mostly but yeah yeah but in this episode they were it reminded me too much of the Walking Dead honestly They were very much these weird zombies that could be destroyed very easily with just, like, a quick wielding of your hammer or stroke of the sword. Like, they were each killing hundreds of whites, it looked like. And whites aren't supposed to be necessarily easier to kill than regular humans. In fact, harder, because they keep coming at you after you've destroyed them. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know, I felt like they were really ripping off of The Walking Dead in this um, the way they displayed the whites and it felt like they dumbed down the scare factor of the whites a little bit in order to make them more beatable and yeah. as much as I love Tormund I think he should have died in that scene because watching mm-hmm. a beloved character succumb to that kind of onslaught would have been way much more of an emotional impact mm-hmm. than watching random extra wildlings die yeah. No, I agree with you. Uh, so, a few things. This, re- If you go back to another time where we've had White's Attack was right outside of the Three-Eyed Raven's tree 
with the children of the forest and how Bran and Mira and Jojen literally needed. Jojen sacrificed himself. The children of the forest had to come out to help with their fireball. So the whites just kept coming, right? And you can stick a sword in them and they will still move because they are not human. That doesn't hurt them. They have no... Um, they don't need the skin. Like, it's just, they're just magically held together, all of their bones and muscles. Mm-hmm. Um, it was and, just not consistent with the way they've been displaying whites. Speaking of consistency, whites came out of the water to get Torment and not to get John later in the episode. Seriously? Mm-hmm. That's, and we've seen them... That's ridiculous. And we've seen them be held by water in Hardhome as well. So... Okay, cool. I am so confused. But then... I felt like a lot of this battle was done for dramatic effect without really any care towards maintaining the credibility of the whites. Yeah. And that's just frustrating as a a dedicated fan. Mm -hmm. I expect better, especially during a battle sequence. Um, And then we get the dragons, and I started crying. I wrote, um, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever watched, hallelujah. <laughs> one thing that I totally missed saying earlier, which is mm-hmm. when we get the um, the the white that they capture makes that shrieking noise, and we yeah. start hearing that ominous, it sounds like a storm coming or something. I thought that was a really cool callback to two episodes ago when we got the Dothraki oh. that you could hear in the distance coming. Oh, yeah. Um, and then eventually the dragon. So that was... I just really appreciated that mirroring. Um, but yeah, when the dragons come here, I, I literally started crying <laughs> because it was such a beautiful moment. You know how I haven't cried all season? Yeah. Um, this scene stressed me out. So <laughs> I, I was almost tearing. I like had slunk back in my chair trying to cover my eyes or trying to like tunnel vision my <laughs> holding my hands up to my forehead like uh <laughs> I wrote that John better fucking bend the knee already <laughs> yeah it would be a good time yeah probably um and also so we see the Night King walk through fire yeah here so that's something important to remember then is that the others will not be stopped by fire alone and they can walk through it mm-hmm. um Oh, by the way, before we go any further, I did call it there would be an ice dragon in this episode right after I saw the dragons come in. Just just saying. Well, who called <laughs> that there would be a dragon get killed in the you north? You did. You did. Only to be reawakened by the others. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I predicted that um, basically as soon as I saw the trailer, I guess. Um, and so... We get our death of a dragon. Yeah. And so the internet is telling me it was Viserion. I couldn't tell which one it was, but the internet is saying it's Viserion. I would agree with that. Um, But let's be honest, Game of Thrones is playing fast and loose with um, both of them. Uh, Basically, Viserion and Rhaegal have been twins to this point, and it's the two and then Drogon. Yeah, it's they the only haven't really had any made. specific colors the way they do in the books. Yeah. Um, so R.I.P. Viserion, I will say I'm very happy that you added to my death pool at least because it was lacking a little bit this season. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a really emotional moment just because I thought Amelia's acting was 
absolutely incredible here, as was Kit's. Yeah. Um, and oh, I really liked um, Tormund's and mm-hmm. Jorah's. I liked the fact that John was the first one to get back to fighting because mm-hmm. he realized that, like, there's a present danger that we have to keep going after and there we will be able to mourn after this is over. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I want to note that this, whatever it is, this ice harpoon thing um, hit Viserion in the side, it looked like, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So... Either it just happens to be other magic and it would have killed Viserion no matter where it hit him, mm-hmm. um, or the show is just totally going away from the books um, because we know in the books that the only way to kill a dragon is to hit it through the eye. Yeah. I, my take on this is that it's other magic and it might be an exception um, because a normal because arrow... Because it looked like he like exploded when it, he got hit. It wasn't an explosion was really so much violent. as um, so forceful that the blood was just pouring out. There's definitely some magic in that mm-hmm. somewhere. For sure. The and the Night King wasn't just traveling with one, we'll call it the, I don't know, Ice Javelin? Is that a good name for it? Mm-hmm. I don't know if we have an official name for Game of Thrones yet. But, um, so there was not one Ice Javelin, but there were two, which we saw as Drogon flew away but I wanted to talk about the Night King's choice to kill one of the other dragons because if you were paying attention you'll see that Drogon was a closer to the Night King and b um not moving so he was a much easier target and yet the Night King chose to go after Viserion the one moving target in the sky um which I thought was a really interesting choice so it was almost like and I don't know if this is a choice that the Night King would necessarily have made in the books. Like, wouldn't you just go after Drogon, or do you go after Viserion, or one of the quote-unquote lesser dragons? Because it's just, like, a warning shot? Like, you want yeah. to pursue another fight with Daenerys? So this is also something I was thinking about. Um, I've I've brought this up in some of our book pods, but... To me, the others have to have a purpose yeah. other than eradicating humanity. Um, all of their actions to this point, especially the more descriptive ones we get in the books, it doesn't make sense given all we know about them is that they want to destroy men, mm-hmm. um, humankind. Um, especially there was this great map on Twitter I saw that showed John's path since Hardhome all over Westeros. <laughs> and then it showed the army of the dead and the others as just this tiny line because they haven't even made it like to the wall yet from hard home which wasn't very far at all um from the wall and so they're just taking their time they're Mm -hmm. not in a hurry is like the answer so i don't i don't know what their purpose is but i think their purpose lies in westeros and that they're actually seeking something or looking for something or hoping to create something and so to me this battle for the others was less about him destroying Daenerys and taking her out or taking out all of the dragons and Mm -hmm. John because we've also seen situations in the past um where the Night King could have easily taken out John and he didn't Mm -hmm. um and that goes along with your question of why did they not refreeze the ice to let 
them go across. I think that the Night King wanted a dragon and got a dragon. Yeah. And that was the point. I don't I don't know what the point is beyond that, but I don't think his goal was eradication in this battle. Yeah. And that's a really interesting thread to follow down. I can't wait to see how this unfolds. So Daenerys leaves with all of them and our wriggling right wriggling white. (laughs) I can't say that. Um and I was anticipating and tell me if you were too the moment where John would finally become a dragon rider and take Rhaegal. But that does not happen because Game of Thrones hates us. <laughs> Danny stretches her hand out to John to try to get him to board Drogon, and that doesn't happen. Um, and then, so I, I wrote, like, so how many people get to be dragon riders before John does? They're just <laughs> trolling us at this point. Yeah. Because now Tormund <laughs> and Jorah and everybody has ridden a dragon. Granted, not by themselves. So, also, uh, you want to talk about unrealistic survivals here. We mm. get a, a flashback to Jamie getting out of the water. Yep. Um, and plot armor not only floats, but it keeps you warm in freezing water, apparently. <laughs> because you do not survive that. You don't survive being submerged in frozen ice water for that amount of time and be able to come out. You just don't. And you don't pull yourself out of it and again the whites should have been able to fight in the water right right because they were fighting uh torment in the water they just floated off of john and then Um, let's talk about cold hands yes more complaining here (laughs) what the hell was that surprise cold hands is in this season Oh, yeah. He totally managed to find them in the vast great north, even though the last time we saw him was right in front of Castle Black, which is like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles west of Eastwatch. So that's cool. Um, And then he totally sacrifices himself like this. You want to talk about deus ex machina. I don't like it in my Game of Thrones. This bothered me. And then I watched the inside of the episode and it made me they basically knew, and I think this is probably straight from George R. R. Martin, that Cold Hand's ultimate purpose, and again, not Benjamin's ultimate purpose in the books, but ben, um, but Cold Hand's ultimate purpose is to die doing that service. And so that's essentially what this was. That's why he didn't get on the horse with John. They just needed a way for Cold Hands to die in a way that was um, legitimate and genuine to that story. So that's yeah. why that happened. Meh. Do you want to go to Daenerys the Wall? Yeah. At Eastwatch? So I cried okay. again here <laughs> because I was so sad for her. Um, and then we get John coming in on his horse. Um, we need to know that this episode is very important because three things for Daenerys specifically. Number one, Daenerys has now seen the Wall, mm-hmm. which is a humongous feat in itself we have been waiting years if not over a decade for this in book world so this is like amazingly gigantic huge deal number two she went beyond the wall and she fought a battle against the freaking knight's king that's another huge deal and number three she's now lost a dragon so Mm -hmm. i can't state enough 
how important all of these things are. And then we're falling in love with John. She doesn't really seem to mind the fact that he was lying to her about getting stabbed in the heart. We get the greatest scene in the entire show next, though. My favorite scene. I loved this scene. Is this Arya and Sansa? That one? Yes. You're being sarcastic, right? Yes. (laughs) Yes. This was the worst scene I've ever seen in my life. And it's nothing on Maisie and Sophie. They acted it as well as they could, given the terrible direction that this seems to be headed in. But, excuse me, but what the actual fuck is happening? (laughs) I don't think that we could say anything in commentary about this scene that we haven't said already. I'm talking about them earlier in this episode, but I was, like, legitimately confused. Like, how Arya is going to threaten Sansa and then just give her little thing. Like, is this her way of saying everything is Littlefinger's fault by giving her the dagger? Like, I don't. That's the only thing that I got out of this scene. I did a little thinking on this and soul searching on this, and I think I might have a couple okay. of ideas. But first, I want to complain <laughs> about everything because you have done no complaining. <laughs> Arya's psychopath is really coming out strong here. Yep. Um, and I don't think Arya would torture Sansa like this in any. So I just I don't buy this characterization. I don't understand where they're going with it. Um, That being said, I have done my best to try to think about where it might be going and what the hell that meant where she handed her the dagger at the end. Mm -hmm. Sansa needed to learn about Arya's powers, and it was unfortunate that they decided to do it in this weird, creepy way, but now Sansa knows about Arya's powers. Mm -hmm. Sansa has said multiple times how important Peter's role as Lord of the Vale is and how she is only as strong as she is as long as she has the Vale Lords and the Northern Lords on her side. So I think this is Arya's way of especially if we do get some realization on Ari's behalf of how awful Peter is in the future yeah. in the next episode, mm-hmm. if that comes full circle, if this was a setup or if it wasn't a setup, I think this is Arya's way of offering to become Peter for Sansa. That's where I was just going. And giving Sansa that choice. Mm-hmm. Because they could still have Peter. Peter could still be an important ally to them and Sansa could still have the Lords of the Vale on her side. Right. They just would have Arya pretending to be Peter. But I still think it's a really awful way to introduce Sansa to the whole concept that, hey, sis, I can steal dead people's faces and become them. Mm -hmm. And also, what if I do it to you? Like, what the fuck was that? That was just weird. Yeah. So we'll just leave that for our next episode. Again, hoping that this is resolved in a way that makes sense. Because this is something that needs to be addressed before season eight. So let's get back to John and Danny. <laughs> um, they hold hands several times. John calls Daenerys Danny. Um, and I, of course. Which is weird. Um, I, don't I like love that. it because I've been calling her Danny. In the books, Daenerys' chapters start with Danny. They don't say Daenerys, they say Danny. So Danny is like a colloquial name that everyone in the fandom uses for mm-hmm. her. But I've never once heard anyone in the show other than brother who was evil call her that so where would john have gotten that nickname from he just came up with and then yeah and why did he feel it was appropriate to call her by a random nickname when he was sitting there dead (laughs) but he still hasn't even bent the knee to her like it was odd oddly out of character to me and i just didn't really like it at all it felt supernatural like it didn't to me 
they've just become I think this really made them closer in the realization that John was a brave and stupid hero for her and um, that was like the final step of mutual admiration that they both got to. I think it made them closer for sure yeah. but I think there would have been a better way to write it I just didn't like his his use of a casual nickname. It just felt weirdly out of place. I don't know. To be fair, though, it he only says that twice. Jarring. And then he's like, okay, you're not a fan of that nickname. That's fine. Like, I'll call you my queen. I'm glad that he finally bends the knee. That was a long time coming. Um, and I like how vulnerable she lets herself be. But I yeah. also don't like that her immediate reaction is to question it. That just what do you mean? was gross to me. So he bends the knee and she goes, but what will everybody think? What will your northern lords think? And oh, right. I yeah. don't know, to me, that's not, that's not a very strong position to take, especially when you've been badgering him to bend the knee forever. Yeah. No, I agree. It just, I didn't buy that reaction. I, I don't know. Yeah, her reaction um, should have been something along the lines of, it's about to end time. I've been asking you for, yeah. you know, months or however long it's been. Exactly. Um, I just didn't like that. I felt like it kind of put her in a weaker position than she needed to be in that situation, Mm -hmm. given that she was already in a vulnerable place having just lost a child. Um, Speaking of children, we also do get the conversation where she lets John know (laughs) that she can't have children. And then he looks at her, Um, like, (laughs) with the smolder. (laughs) Yeah. He's, like, tried so hard in that situation. He loves her. They love each um, other, I, Laurel. I thought they were going to kiss. So I'm, I'm really thinking that we will see that prophecy of Mary Maz's door get broken, and we will see John and Daenerys have a child. Um, that's just, like, was pounded over our heads way too much in this episode. The one part that's, and I have it up, and I'll read it in a second, um, that is really distinct to me is the part about in it about the mountain we discuss in our book pods when the mountain falls or whatever and so with Clegane Bowl imminent next week I mean everything is starting to fall in place definitely and here's the prophecy when the sun rises in the west and sets in the east said Mary Monster when the seas go dry and mountains blow in the wind like leaves when your womb quickens again and you bear a living child then he will return and not before um also one Mm -hmm. more thing for this scene is that i like watching john comfort her a little bit because he's the only person we see tell her that he's sorry for her loss um and i'm sure that conversation did happen with other people but we don't see it so he does understand i think better than anyone else in the show um what this loss really means to her so our next scene reminded me tell me if this was reminiscent of it for you too um game of thrones meets les mis <laughs> I like it. I like look it. Look down. Look down. So my question is, what is the mechanism going on here? Because A, how did they get the chains around the dragon? Night King magic. B, how did they manage to wrap the chains around the dragon's neck in such a way that all of that force wouldn't just rip the neck right Night off? Night King magic. But would instead pull the entire weight of the body? Mm-hmm. So I guess there's not much to say about this scene so much as it was very visual. And yeah, pulling Viserion up from the ice 
I feel like this was meant to be a big mm-hmm. reveal, but I feel like everyone they they didn't do a good job of with the subtlety mm-hmm. enough so that everyone was expecting mm-hmm. it. I've been familiar with the concept of an ice dragon for several books now, since especially since we started doing a reread, paying more attention to um, clues like that. And of course, with Gurm, it's actually quite subtle. Um, so I wasn't surprised. My question is, is it going to breathe fire or ice? Oh, God, I'm really hoping for ice. Do you have anything else to say about the dragon or wrapping things up um, before we rank that? I mean, I got to give myself a called it, but I'm not that enthusiastic about it just because I feel like everyone called it at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also just updating everyone that finally my death pool is up to two <laughs> for this season. <laughs> <laughs> Again, there should have been more deaths this season. I've... Is your death pool? Your death pool's at zero, so yeah yeah well um so looking at this episode as a whole and especially the title of it which is beyond the wall i think that pretty much sums up my lack of enthusiasm for this episode (laughs) as a whole as much as i (laughs) loved some of the big moments it just Mm -hmm. so much of it rang flat and as you said we found so much to complain about um but beyond the wall doesn't really have any subtle meanings or layers to it like Mm -hmm. Outside of the north, we saw Tyrion and Daenerys interacting. Didn't mm-hmm. know beyond the wall there. And we saw all of the north stuff with um, Sansa and Arya at Winterfell. Can't come up with a meaning for beyond the wall there. So, cool. It was a uh, one-dimensional title, I think, this week. Well, might I suggest that that might be... That's just indicative of how generally the West, rest of the world... Um, of Westeros is acknowledging beyond the wall right now is that it literally is being ignored and that's the whole point. I I understand your point though about it not being explicitly seen throughout the land in this episode. Yeah. Specifically. Um, Just one more point related to the ice dragon Viserys. Can I call it that? that Viserion? No, Viserion. Viserion. Is that better? Okay. Viserion? Okay. Um, but we can finally have a dance of dragons. Finally. Yep. Get excited, guys. Okay, so with that being said, we've discussed the title of the episode and the themes. Um, now I wanted to rate the episode. So, Laurel, on a scale of 1 to 10, where are we at this week? Um, We're at a solid 4, honestly. No. Yes. No. <laughs> yes. A combination of the whole aria, what the hell is going on, <laughs> and just oh. the utter amount of time I spent watching this episode kicked out of my normal enjoyment of Game of Thrones because I was frustrated at something that was happening. But you weren't spoiled. I, I, yeah, you and I both need to give each other kudos for managing to not get spoiled, even though this episode got leaked on, like, Monday, was it? Monday or Tuesday, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So neither of us got spoiled, but honestly, the big reveal that was supposed to happen was something I'd already been calling, so I wasn't that surprised. Mm -hmm. Um, The battle wasn't that fulfilling. The battle was unrealistic and not very fulfilling, and I complained through it more than (laughs) I did anything else. Uh, The writing was better than it normally is, but Mm -hmm. like it was still definitely D&D writing it. There wasn't a lot of subtlety. (laughs) Um, I wasn't like sitting there cackling the way I was last week 
And last week's episode was so great and got my first 10 of the season that I was just like really not feeling this week. So, yep, sorry. Gotta Are you it a sure four. it's a four? I'm it's like four. hurt. Because I'm hurt, Laurel. <laughs> I thought about giving it a five, but then I thought five is mediocre. Five is supposed to be average, right? And this was below average to me. This was not mediocre. This was like below average. Oh, yeah. I want to cry just hearing your review. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that does not go for this season as a whole or this show as a whole, obviously. It was just a bad episode to be. Okay. I'm not going to be that harsh, <laughs> but I think definitely with our complaints being noted and the complaints being quite um, lengthy, and I would say unusually lengthy um, in this episode in particular, mm-hmm. um, paired with so much that I did appreciate. I did like the dialogue. I love the acting. A lot of my favorite characters were in this episode. Um, the CGI was great, um, mostly, except for that freaking polar bear. I'm just going to hate that polar bear forever. If you ever bring back another polar bear for the wars to come, I'm just going to stop watching. No, I won't no. really. I won't no, really, won't. but <laughs> I will roll my eyes and maybe for popcorn at my TV. Um, so with that being said, I will rank this episode. Mmm... I'm torn between a six and a seven. Oh, you're too generous. I feel like you were too harsh. So I'm just here to moderate, girl. Um, Yes, it was not a nine or a ten. I'm feeling a six. Yeah, okay. I was about to say that I can, I can handle a six from you. I can't handle a seven. <laughs> from me? <laughs> Do we have any book pod nudes, Laurel? Uh, nope. Um, those will be resuming getting uploaded once we're done with this season seven. So expect from us again, uh, next week we'll be releasing our season seven finale episode. And then the week after that, we'll be releasing kind of a season seven wrap up, going over themes of the whole show, going over highlights, lowlights, um, (laughs) of which this might be one. (laughs) Um, and predictions for season eight, where we hope it goes, things like that. And then, um, we'll be getting back to our regular book pods. I think we were about almost done with Game of Thrones when we left off. And so we'll be wrapping that up and getting into book two. If you want to get in touch with us, as always, please tweet at King's Landing Pod or email us with any longer form questions, comments, um or your ratings we'll take anything (laughs) um and that's kingslandingpod at gmail.com we love hearing from all of you so it's really positive you can also um rate us on itunes if you feel like it yeah um thanks we drink and we know things cheers